We're going nuts this week. Almonds have a long and illustrious culinary history in both the sweet and savory kitchen. Cakes, pastas, and more with a guest appearance from Terry Robel. From KVBI in Homer, Alaska, my name is Jeff Lockwood, and it's time to check the pantry. Peanuts, which are a legume, almonds aren't botanically a nut. They're a droop, a fleshy fruit surrounding a single seed like a plum, a peach, a coconut, a cashew, and an apricot. The last, in fact, is a close relative of the almond. Almond trees originated in Iran and from there spread throughout the Mediterranean and into Central Asia. They require warm, dry weather and tolerate neither frosts nor humidity, restricting their growth to climates that resemble their homeland. This was surprising to learn as almonds are common in Western interpretations of both Indian and Chinese dishes, but it turns out that the Chinese almond is in fact a species of apricot grown for its seed, and the Indian almond is the product of an entirely unrelated tree, although its flavor is similar. There are two kinds of almonds, sweet and bitter. Sweet, of course, is the most familiar form found in snack aisles and flower sections in every supermarket. Bitter almonds are poisonous in sufficient quantity because they contain large amounts of cyanide, which was always the tip-off in old spy novels that a cornered spy had just bitten down on a cyanide capsule because the odor of almonds suddenly filled the air. The poison can be eliminated through various processing techniques, however, and because bitter almonds also contain more benzaldehyde, the chemical responsible for much of the characteristic almond flavor, they are used to produce almond extract. In Mediterranean countries, it is common to blend small amounts of bitter almonds with larger amounts of sweet almonds to boost the almond flavor in ground almond preparations such as marzipan. Commercial growers in the U.S. view bitter almonds as a contaminant, and so essentially all American almond production is sweet almonds, although there is no ban on growing bitter almonds or outside of a California labeling law requiring a notice that they are potentially toxic and should be used carefully selling them. Despite California being the world's largest producer of almonds, in the U.S. they are mainly seen as a snack, filling out nut mixtures and occasionally being included in their sliced or slivered form on top of cakes or other desserts. They are absolutely foundational, however, to the dessert cookery of, well, everywhere, even close to the Mediterranean. Sugared almonds are one of the oldest confections anyone knows about. Sweet almonds get several mentions in the Bible, most prominently the seven candle cups on a menorah represent almond flowers. Marzipan, nougat, and almond milk feature prominently in dessert recipes going back a thousand years. The macaron, beloved window dressing for expensive pastry shops, is made of an almond flour meringue. So today we're turning away from the cans of smoked almonds, honey roasted almonds, wasabi almonds, mixed nuts, and all the other delicious ways we're most familiar with them in the States, and looking at other ways to use perhaps the most important nut in the world. So right now, we're going to make a basic tomato sauce. I found a pasta recipe called St. John's Eve Pasta, and it's got blanched sliced almonds in it. It's got a nice kind of homemade little tomato sauce in it, so I'm going to make that. Is it just tomato sauce and almonds? It's just tomato sauce, almonds, 
and then it's got some breadcrumbs in it with a flavoring of uh, garlic and anchovies. I made this beautiful pasta last night with my son and it just wants us to brown a little onion and garlic and a little um, extra virgin olive oil. Then we add a little fresh thyme and finely shredded carrot. And then we add the tomatoes, simmer it down a little bit. And that's our basic tomato sauce. I think first we'll shred our little carrot here. He's pretty cute. Yeah. Finely shredded. That looks pretty finely shredded, I think. And I'm sure you usually when you put carrot and tomato sauce, it's probably just for a sweetener. That's what I've always understood it to be. Yeah, me too. I don't know how sweet these carrots are. My dog loves vegetables. Here, boom. Ready? Catch <laughs> it. See, he's good. He's good. I got some beautiful fresh garlic from um, Synergy Farms at the market last week. And I used some of that already. It was really good. I've never really worked with really, really fresh garlic. It oh, was, it's crazy. It's it's so different. It's intense. It is. And it's wet. So I'm just going to grate this little guy up. Usually I could dice it up, but eh, I'm, I'm, eh, I'm, I'm, I'm in for ease. You got the microplane out. I know, right? It's, it's already got carrot on it. What the heck? All right. So now we have to... Get a little olive oil going. I don't know. Maybe that's a little too much onion. There's never too much onion. All right. Well, there you go then. Okay. That's going in. Been cooking a lot. Refrigerator looks crazy. <laughs> My gosh. And then, of course, we have our son here. And so I'm really cooking a lot, you know. There's nothing better than fresh garlic, I tell you. So it's just to let this simmer down and saute till they're soft. We'll do that. Okay, well, the, well those can cook away a little bit and I'm gonna um, mince up some fresh thyme that goes in here. The one thing I love to use my ulu for is herbs. I, I love, it works perfect. Well, it's very similar to, uh, what's the Italian one? The two blade, the mezzaluna, mezzaluna. Yeah, that's right. They're, they're very similar in design. Yeah, what? I don't, no. no. No, I just mince herbs with a knife. Usually I do this on a flat cutting board. I don't have a big enough kitchen to have a bunch of crap in it. I have so much stuff. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and you know what, though? Just walk out to my husband's garage and I, you'll go, he wins. <laughs> it's like, and, and the funny thing is, I don't even know what most of that stuff is. I think he could look at the stuff in my kitchen and identify everything. Like, yeah. You know? Well, your kitchen, your, it looks like you should have your own, like, TV food show because <laughs> well, that would, it's that very would. it's very visually appealing. Thank you. Well, it's my, you know, my happy place. I know I hate I hate that word, but it, it's where I love hanging out. And it's it's my spot, and I love it. Okay, so my little, um, ooh, fresh time. Fresh you know, I never thought I liked time because my mom always said, oh, I hate time. And so I'm like, okay, I hate time. <laughs> And then I started using it, and it's like, no, it's really great stuff. Well, that's good because a lot of people never get to the point where they get past what their parents hate. Exactly. I know it. I was thinking about that. This is lovely. It smells really good in here. Oh, good. All right, we got... We haven't yet got to the point where you can... No. Transmit smells across the radio, no, but if no, we no. if Wouldn't we could, awesome? if we did, this show would be a lot more popular. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I always have to put a little heat in my tomato sauce. Yeah, like a little shake, a hot sauce, or a dash of red chili pepper flakes or something. Yeah, red pepper flakes are pretty classic. And yeah, yeah. So well, it just it perks everything up. It you does. Know? It gives it a little zip and just wakes up your tongue. It does. Pretty soon we can add our little um, extras here, our tomatoes, and let it get all happy in there. What kind of tomatoes are you using? Uh, the it asks for San Marzino, um, you know, the whole tomatoes. Those are, they're the so much better. Aren't they awesome? They're just so much better. I mean, I, it hurts when I buy them because they're much, you know, they're like they three times as expensive. But then I buy them, and they're so much better. <laughs> they are. And and you know, I, sometimes I think it takes a long time in life to. Figure that out. And then at one point you go, you know what? This this just isn't worth it because it just doesn't. It's way more than three times the satisfaction. It is. And, you know, I, I always tell people, if you're going to go through the effort to cook something yeah. by hand, you know, homemade, and it takes time and lots of energy and love, and just use the best stuff you can. It just it doesn't make sense not to. 
Okay, so I added my thyme, my carrot. I think, you know what, thyme can be really strong, so I'm not gonna put a whole lot of it in. And it also gets fresh basil in, but not till the end, which is... Yeah, you never put basil in till the end. Right, because what's the point? But it took me a while to learn that, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know? The carrot is quite soft. Add the tomatoes in their juice and bring to a boil, stirring often. Yeah, they're just nice, thick tomato sauce with them, you know? A little hot pepper in here. All right, I'm gonna let that sit there and simmer. Now, I don't think there's anything else we're gonna do here. I'm gonna just turn it on the timer a little bit. Just, I don't know, just keep me honest. If I don't turn the timer on, I, I'm, guaran I know. I'm guaranteed to burn oh, it. Oh. <laughs> I'm really bad about it. <laughs> so, okay, we gotta switch gears here. I have to go from Italy now over to um, China. Oh, wow. Because we're gonna make we're just, almond chicken. We're just traveling the world in the robo kitchen right now. Right, we have to. Because we can't travel the world. No, no, we can't go anywhere. We can't. No. <laughs> I think we can go to like Albania or something. Brazil will probably let us go, let us in, but they're as bad as we are right now, so. All right. Oh, we're simmering away here. We're gonna turn this little guy down. Be good, be here. Okay, that, that cookbook. Flavors of China. Flavors of China. We talked about this on the Is show. Is this the one that you got from the Filipino lady in ADAC? Sort of, kind of, no, I ordered this. I was reading a Better Homes and Gardens and they had a recipe in it. Uh, this was like 40 years ago, okay? This is a long time ago. <laughs> you you were just- Oh, this is the one you got the egg rolls from. Ah, uh, one of them. Okay. Anyway, yeah, this one actually has the favorite recipe in it for, um, is it hot sour soup? It's, it's like type written, it's it's spiral bound. Yeah, with those little Here it is, see, oh, yeah. yeah, egg roll. Okay, I love this. this I'd say bury me with this, but I want to... <laughs> See, look at hot sour soup. It's very well used. Oh, man. I can tell you've made that recipe before by all the it's stains on the page. It's everybody else's favorite. It's fabulous. But t today, for our dining enjoyment, we're making almond chicken. All right. Well, first off the get-go, let's deal with our chicken. So we want them two raw bone chicken breasts. Okay. We've got to change... Continents now, okay. Kind of hard for me. I gotta have a moment, you know. To, but the good thing is, we'll get lunch out of the deal. Sweet. All right, here we're gonna move Italy over here, <laughs> <laughs> and now we're gonna. I'm gonna get out a different cutting board just because. Cross contamination. Yep. See, they call for two chicken breasts, but that's like two Look chicken breasts. That looks like a. <laughs> that is insane. Isn't that insane? <laughs> that's like, like the. That's like the size of a whole chicken. I know. <laughs> this is insane. I know. Is right? there, there's a running theme on the show of how irritating it is, the composition of the modern American chicken. It's well, it's just ridiculous. You but know? Everything is is bigger. Everything is bigger. It's ridiculous. That's why we're bigger. Don't you think? That's a big part of it. Yes. I mean, that's a huge part of it. I mean, even at plates from a long time ago. Oh yeah. Way smaller. Yeah. Way smaller. I don't know, this is pretty big. Um, I would just use that. I wouldn't- Let's just use this. <laughs> Cause see, the, the thing is this this uh, cookbook too is from the time when chickens were ordinarily sized. Yeah, it's 40 years ago. Yeah. So I'm not even gonna cut that up. <laughs> that was the this, size of the whole chicken back then. This little, you know, and, and plus once you get it out, it says to just slice it and put the sauce on it. Yeah. So, okay, that's all we're gonna do. That's what I would do. All right, that's what we're doing. I mean, that's the, you gotta, you gotta adapt in these going. recipes. <laughs> all right, here's our chicken. You know what we could do is I could pound out it, pound it out a little bit, so, because one end is thinner. Yeah, it's always, that. that's always good practice with chicken breast. Yeah, because one, one end's gonna be done, one end isn't, and to heck with it. Well, there you go, okay, I'm gonna pound this little fat end out a little bit. So here's our pounded chicken breast. Yay, okay. Now, basically, all we do, we gotta make a batter. Today, I'm going to be making a variant on one of my very favorite desserts in the world, the Gato Basque, or the Basque cake. And this is, as the name sort of implies, a cake from the Basque country uh, between northern Spain and southwestern France in the Pyrenees Mountains. It's a very weird cake. And if you go and try to make this cake and you're at all an experienced baker, 
You will start making this cake and you will think that the recipe writer or me, if you're listening to me, is completely insane because as you're making it, you're going to be thinking this looks much more like a pie than a cake. That feeling will only get stronger as you progress through the ingredients until the very end when you're actually rolling out the top, you're going to be like, this is a pie, idiot. And then you bake it and it's a cake and it's fantastic. There's always a filling in a Basque cake. And the most common filling by far is pastry cream. If you get it in a restaurant, they'll almost always serve you the pastry cream version. And the very first bass cake I ever had was a pastry cream bass cake. And I was like, this is fantastic. I love this. And then I started looking into how to make it. And I learned that there's another variety. And I've not had the official other variety again, because I haven't really, I've never been to the Pyrenees. And there's a particular town in uh, the Basque country, and I do not recall the name of it off the cuff. They're very famous for their black cherry jam. Really intense flavor, a little sour, a little bitter. And that's what, in this particular town, they fill their Basque cake with. And so I tried it using the best quality black cherry jam I could find, like a sour cherry, black cherry jam, not something super sweet, something with a real kind of intensity of flavor. And it was amazing. And that was how I made my bass cakes for a long time. And then what happened last year, actually, this is the first time that I changed things around. I made a ton of rhubarb jam. And one day I was kind of in the mood for a bass cake. And I said, all right, well, I'll, I'll make a bass cake. Oh, I got to go get some. I don't have any black cherry jam. I'll go get some. And I looked at this rhubarb jam and the gears started turning. And I was like, well, rhubarb isn't dramatically different from black cherry. I mean, the flavor is very different, but the notes that it's hitting are similar. You know, a rhubarb jam is going to have some sourness, a lot of sourness from the from the rhubarb. So there's a real acidic profile already that gives it something other than sweetness. And then you add the sugar and that brings out the, any sweetness in the rhubarb and also tames the 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 tooth scraping acidity of the rhubarb stalk. And I tried it. It was fantastic. And thus my variation of the Basque cake was born. I call it the Alaska cake. It's a stupid corny pun and you guys are all groaning right now. I don't care. That's what I call it. So that's what we're making today is the Basque cake variation, the Alaska cake, A-L-S-Q-U-E. I've got 500 grams of pastry flour. And once again, your baking will improve just by swapping out pastry flour for all purpose in recipes like this. It's, it's the number one thing that, that makes things better. Uh, 250 grams of sugar and 250 grams of butter. This is better quality butter than the super cheap stuff. So it's slightly more expensive. I wish it was cultured butter. This is, after all, a, re a recipe where right a, a little less than a quarter of the total composition of the recipe is butter. So it's worthwhile using something that does have some flavor. So 500 grams of flour, 250 grams of sugar, 250 grams of butter. And then the characteristic of Basque cake is that it is made with some almond flour. This particular recipe, which I have always had a lot of success with, is 50 grams of almond flour. And that gives it a nice, nutty, very subtle, nutty flavor. And we're also going to be upping the almond flavor a little more with some almond extract, which they make out of bitter almonds. Half a teaspoon of that, two teaspoons of baking powder, which this baking powder is kind of the only thing that makes you think, oh, okay, maybe this is a cake the zest of two lemons and one orange. I have made the bass cake without the zest because I started making it and got partway through and realized that I didn't have any lemons or oranges. It's not as good. It really makes a big difference in the top notes. Without it, it's still good, but it doesn't have a lot of high end. It's a little bit dull. So that is pretty much it. 500 grams of flour, 250 grams of sugar, 250 grams of butter, 50 grams almond flour, half a teaspoon almond extract, two teaspoons baking powder, zest of two lemons and an orange. That is almost all of the ingredients, except for the last one. Time to drag out my KitchenAid. And no matter how many times I make this, especially once I get to the part where I add the liquid and I start mixing, I always say every single time, this is totally wrong. This is not gonna work. This is a friggin' pie. And I don't know how many times I've made this recipe. You just got to carry through. You got to press through the doubt. Once you get to the other side, it's glorious. Now I add the liquid and you're going to be like, there must be a fair amount of liquid in here. You know, there's a, quite a bit of dry material. The entire liquid that goes into the bass cake 
Two eggs. Turn it on. I don't like to let it go too long in the mixer. Two eggs. Two eggs. And the instructions are mix until it comes together. And you are going to do this and you're going to be like, this is not coming together. And it's true. It doesn't come together in a ball. It is still going to be very loose and it's still going to be very crumbly. And so I finish it just to make sure as much moisture is kind of dis distributed in this as is possible. I finish it in the mixing bowl by hand, just squeezing it together because I don't want to. I don't want to do it in the with the paddle because I don't want to develop any real any more gluten than I already have. It's somewhat similar to a pat in the pan dough, and that is basically the way that we're going to treat it right now. Because the next phase is to put it in the pan. I put a sheet of parchment in the bottom of my pan because. I'm a belt and suspenders kind of guy when it comes to unmolding things. So I got parchment in the bottom of my pan. I buttered the top of the parchment. I buttered the sides of the pan. And this is a nine inch cake pan. I have made it in uh, tart pans, both nine and 10 inch. Tart pans are kind of nice because they give it a little fluted edge, which is, you know, sort of cool. I've also made it in springform pans, which works very well. I now have my, my very dubious looking cake my cake dough, which is not something you're used to hearing about if you are a cake maker. Cakes have batter, not dough. Here's another thing you almost never say when you're making a cake. So I grab my rolling pin. I'm just gonna roll it, not really, it, and you'll see as you roll it, it, it's still really crumbly. It's almost like, it's like shortbread crumbly. And that shortbread is kind of a, a, a fairly close example to what this is, a little different texture, but. It's not the worst corollary for what we're doing here. So I've rolled it out into kind of generally a vaguely circular object. And now I'm just gonna pat the biggest portion of it down into the bottom of the pan. And now I'm gonna take the crumbly bits and pat them into any holes, into any cracks, into the, the side and the corners of the pan. I'm gonna make sure there's, there's no air. And I'm gonna pat these up the sides of the pan as well. So I got the bottom part in, and now I'm pulling out my rhubarb jam. This part's really easy. Bop a layer of rhubarb jam into the bottom. Nice and generous, not too thick. Turn my stove, my oven on to 375. Now, the top. Again, as is so common with cakes, grab your rolling pin. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be really honest here. I've always had a real hard time with the top. For some reason, the, uh, I'm reason the bottom half I always tend to roll out pretty nicely and the top always tends to be a little more challenging. I did have somebody that worked that worked for me that, that was way better at rolling out the tops of these than I than I ever was. And I don't know how I don't know how she did it. She was really good at it, but I'm kind of crappy at making pies anyway. Hers always just looked a little nicer. It's so crumbly that it's hard to even if you can roll it into a circular form, it just doesn't stick together very well when you're trying to transfer it. So you just get as much as you can in one go. And you assemble the top a little more gently on the padding because you don't want to get too much uh, rhubarb showing through. So you just patch any holes, make sure it meets the sides. And at least if you're me, there's always it's always going to look kind of crumbly. Don't worry too much about it as long as as long as the biggest holes are covered because it will actually as the butter melts, um, the, the top will sort of unify in the oven. So it will come out of the oven looking a little bit nicer than it goes in. And the last bit to do is to make an egg wash. So I'm gonna crack an egg, pinch of salt in my egg wash, a little bit of water just to thin things out. Milk is also acceptable. Stir that up, grab my pastry brush, a nice generous wash. Happy little egg wash. And the final touch is there is typically some sort of a design made in the top of the bass cake. So I'm just taking a knife and I'm drawing three close together lines separated by a little bit of space and then three more. In the oven she goes 375 for somewhere in the neighborhood 
of 20 to 30 minutes or until it's done. The timer went off. It is time to take a look at it. This is about 26 minutes. It actually went off at 23. I left it in for a few more. Oh yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Perfect. It's still, it's, it's more or less turned into a beautiful, rounded, very attractive, slightly rustic looking, as we say, cake. It is very definitely a cake. Very lovely. And what will be very delicious once it cools down. Alaska cake based on a Basque cake. Best dessert ever? I don't know, but it's up there. It's certainly one that I could eat just about every day and never get sick of. So as, as all um, Alaskan families have, we're multitasking in the cooking department around here today, and Rob's been smoking um, salmon. Nice. Hey, Rob. Hello. How's it going? Yeah. How's the salmon? Hey, yeah, it looks good. I gotta check the smokehouse. Teaspoon baking powder. Okay. Oh, you making How's almond chicken? We make it. I am munchkin. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, we're making almond chicken. Okay. So baking powder, a teaspoon, a uh, quarter. I'm having this. So a quarter teaspoon salt. This has a little MSG in it. Are you opposed to that? No, MSG is awesome. I'm going to do a whole show about it. I'm going to do a whole show about it. Sweet. It's whole, the whole MSG is bad thing is just complete nonsense. It is complete nonsense. It's a total food myth and it, it is, is. It drives yeah, me nuts. They, okay, yeah. so um, we have to make a little gravy. And this is going to be really interesting because it's chicken stock, soy sauce, MSG. And it's just thickened with a little corn special one. So, you know, I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of flavor with this. But you know what? We're going to follow the recipe from Louise Liu in this here cookbook and called The Flavors of China. Have you, going to enjoy it. have you gotten any Fuchsia Dunlop cookbooks? I have two. I have three. She's awesome. Well, our tomato sauce looks good. I mean, you know, and this sauce probably is... is <laughs> It's, really it, it's 40 years ago, so it is not going to be much beyond this one. You know, awesome. you know and the, other, the other thing, I know this is... This isn't when you could get, like, fermented black beans at the store, you know? We could put uh, chicken gravy on it. <laughs> Just saying! You are from Wisconsin, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that runs... That corn runs true and deep. You know that. <laughs> All right, we're going to do our almonds. We're going to toast our almonds a little bit. Give me a dry skillet. There we go. What I'm really good at is um, burning pine nuts at $41 a bag. Yeah. yeah. Oh, burning nuts is super easy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, we're getting a little toasty going on here. These burners can get hot. Maybe they smell pretty close. They smell really good. I think we're calling it, Okay. You don't want to burn them, you know? Okay, so now we're going to make a really groovy, flavorful gravy with chicken stock. All right. How are you doing, Rob? Good. What is this? What? This. Oh, Jeff made that. Tell Rob what that is. Uh, one's a Basque cake, and the other is a Dacquoise with a lemon, butter, lemon French buttercream and strawberries and blueberries from... My yard. He, he did <laughs> well, actually, the bass cake is actually not a bass cake. It's an Alaska cake because it's made with rhubarb jam. Okay. So in our um, our almond chicken gravy, we're putting... Those are my contributions to the show. Yes. He took the really good stuff. MSG. MSG. Right on. All right. Delicious. <laughs> I love bass cake. It's my favorite dessert. No, you I've had your bass cake before. Have That's you? Good. Yeah, you no. took it to the station once or something. Not oh yeah. Gets by me in this fridge. <laughs> no, it's amazing you can find anything in that something fridge. So beautiful. Especially something beautiful. We gotta dice up our, our little toasted almonds. Oh look, another kitchen gadget. It's a mini food processor. Mini food processor. I don't I don't really like a lot of gadgets, okay? Just, <laughs> no, you, you know, the fact checkers are never gonna let that one yeah, through. I know, I know, I know, I know. God. That's a big secret for a lot of things. It really is. You know, I mean it just brings Especially up like flavor. you know, like you never notice that they're there necessarily. Right. 
Okay, we're gonna make our little gravy here. Looks pretty um basic. That's all right. <laughs> all right, little cornstarch in a tablespoon of water. Yeah, you gotta make a slurry. Did a whole show about starch. Well, this looks interesting. Doesn't smell like much. Let's <laughs> <laughs> see what it tastes like. I mean, it's gonna taste like soy sauce and chicken stock. Wow, it's really salty. Probably from the soy sauce. It's uh, soy sauce and chicken stock. Yeah. And yeah, it, it's okay. It doesn't really, it's not anything to write home about. Do you have any hoisin? Oh gosh, yeah. I got all that. Hoisin's, Hoisin's kind of a magical way to jazz up a boring, vaguely That's Chinese good. sauce. Yeah, it's a little sweet. It's got a lot, it's got some fermented soybeans, so you get a little bit of funkiness. Nice. Yeah, I have poison. Should we put that in the tomato sauce too? <laughs> I don't think that would be very good. No, that would be good. They didn't. They didn't have hoisin when this. Uh, at no. least in the U.S., they definitely didn't have you know, and that, and easily accessible hoisin. You know, that's one of the, the bad things about older cookbooks. Is hmm, that's pretty good. A little, a little salty, but you know, it's what it is. You could put a little water in it. You could put a little water in it. It's not bad. You could also put a little sugar in. That too. That might help with the, the saltiness. Okay. See, here we go. This is this is my specialty. <laughs> mess with it until you mess it up. <laughs> Trust me, I'm good at this. All right, we're calling it there. We're gonna leave her sit there for now. All right, now we're going to fry our chicken in the biggest chicken breast this side of the Rocky Mountains. That thing is just huge. That's a thick batter. That's a really thick batter. This is kind of funny because it's this 40-year-old recipe that you probably haven't made in a long time. I and, haven't. And there's probably a lot of cooking experience under the bridge since then. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of looking at this going, wow, this has been... Um, That's an interesting batter. So it's going to take forever. Well, at least you pounded it a little bit. Yeah. So. Well, you know, we, we don't have to let our listeners know everything was a complete failure. Failures are awesome. I love failures. <laughs> don't you think? Failures are the best part, especially when they're failures like where you're doing something that you used to think was awesome and that now you're like, wait a minute. The hoisin did add a lot. Yeah, I'm sure it helped. Okay, we got our almonds here. This is the this is the part of the show we, we came, this this is why we came to the party. So those, so those are the almonds for the almond chicken? What's the almonds for the almond pasta thing? And the almond pasta, they're just, uh, <laughs> they're, they're just sliced. <laughs> the, we've gotten away from the pasta. What's going on we with have, the pasta well, at the, the moment? Pasta, well, no, we're, we're we're, <laughs> we're letting the tomato sauce hang out um, while I make while I'm in China making. Okay, we're gonna chicken. finish. We're gonna finish the chicken first. We're gonna finish chicken first, I think, and then we'll do the pasta if you still want to do it. No, yeah, we we gotta do but the pasta. But this is all that goes into the okay. um, pasta, so nothing too exciting. Let's see how our tomato sauce is doing while our chicken fries. It looks like it's reduced quite a bit. It's very reduced. It's almost too reduced. We'll put some pasta water in. I don't think so. Yeah. Wow, it's really bland. <laughs> it's just that kind of day, guys. <laughs> okay. Well, first of all, it needs more salt and pepper. And I think it just needs a little more, um, ha-cha-cha. Okay, now we are browning our little breadcrumbs. And I love breadcrumbs and I love butter, so I'm I'm browning them in butter. All right. Because you can never ever have too much dessert or too much butter. Those breadcrumbs are browning very nicely. Aren't they lovely? They're probably good, eh? Okay, they're supposed to go with the almonds. Oh, it smells good. It Watch. does smell good. Stir. Add two more tablespoons of olive oil to the pan. Reduce to medium low. Stir in the anchovies. Crush them in the oil. Add the anchovies and oil to the breadcrumb mixture and season with lots of black pepper. We can do that. Ooh, that's a messy little business. Ooh, medium low. Okay, 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 I'm there, I'm there, I'm there. They're not getting very crushed. All right, dog's good. We like anchovies. Okay, we need to put more onion and garlic in there. Then tomato sauce, more tomato sauce. And some basil, all right. 
So we're gonna have to chop up an onion and a little more garlic. No problem. Oh, you put some extra in here at the end to give it a little fresher flavor? I guess so. See, there you go. You thought it was bland, but you haven't even got all the ingredients in there yet. No. Come on, Terry. In my mind, the most underappreciated dessert form is the meringue. You can do a ton of different things with them. You can you can top pies with them, obviously. The most, you know, probably the most well-known usage of them on this side of the pond. You, you can make cookies out of them. You can bake them until they're very crisp. They, you can do all sorts of things with meringues. And they're also really easy to make. The basic meringue is half egg whites, half sugar. And there you go. If you add powdered nuts to them, specifically, in this case, powdered almonds, you get a disc that actually will substitute for cake. It, it doesn't, like, if you bake up a regular meringue that's just sugar and egg whites, if you bake that, it'll be super, super crispy, which is great, and you might want that as a layer in your cake. But this particular kind of meringue, called a dacquoise, that is made with equal parts sugar, egg whites, and nut flour, specifically in this case, almond flour, although hazelnut flour is used frequently as well. It forms a, a meringue that doesn't have the crispy brittleness of a regular, of a straight meringue, where it's actually crunchy and snappy. This one is a lot more like a cake. It might be my favorite cake layer. I just love this stuff. It's a, it's a real subtle, nutty flavor. It complements just about anything really well. So I'm gonna go ahead and assemble some little dessert cakes. Um, out of dacquois and then we'll make because we're gonna have all these leftover egg yolks so we'll make french buttercream out of the egg yolks and then we will also use because it's berry season some kind of berries i don't know i have some strawberries we'll see i'm gonna go blueberry picking i think tomorrow and uh, see if i get some blueberries i have in my mixing bowl 163 grams six egg whites and I'm going to measure out 163 grams of sugar. I'm not going to add it just yet because there's nothing wrong with adding sugar right when you start out making a meringue. Sugar slows down the, the speed at which the egg whites are fully whipped a little bit. So generally I'll, I'll get the egg whites nice and foamy and then add the sugar. Kind of a slightly better routine. They're, they're foamy, but they're not even really close to being whipped. So now I add the rest of the sugar. Still a little bit soft. We like to get our peaks. We like to whip these fairly hard. There we go. Nice stiff peak. Stands up well. I like to transfer it all to a wider bowl than the mixing bowl. It makes it a lot easier to perform the next step, which is folding in the almond flour. It's hard to get all the way down in there without being a little rough. And you do not want to be rough here. So that was 163 grams of sugar, 163 grams of egg yolk, and 163 grams of almond flour. And you very gently fold it in to the egg whites. I like to spin the bowl when I fold. You know, this is not a stirring motion. You're just gently picking up the egg whites and letting them fall back on themselves. Each time they pick up a little more of the almond flour because you want to retain the maximum amount of air. It's the same way you fold a sponge cake. And you go just until the almond flour is not showing in big clumps anymore. And it's well distributed throughout your Dacquoise mixture. My oven is set to 325 degrees. Now there are several options here. You can, if you so desire, pipe out your meringues in circles or whatever shape you desire. Certainly something I do regularly. But this time I am in fact just going to make them in one layer. And in order to do that, I'm going to cut a sheet of parchment to fit this uh, this amount of uh, meringue, I think will work work on a quarter sheet pan. Make a nice layer that's not too thick, not too thin, but is just right. So I'm just gonna plop this out on my sheet pan, and you can definitely, if you desire, you could 
spray your pan. Generally, I find that I don't have really sticking issues with meringues, particularly if you let them dry thoroughly. And you can add other, you know, some other flavorings to this too, if you'd like. A little vanilla extract or, you know, some spices or something like that. And so this, I'm gonna make a whole sheet of meringue. And then when it's done, or of dacquoise is what this is. And then when it's done, then I will cut it into the shapes that I want. I'm probably gonna, probably gonna make these square, but I don't know, maybe strips. There's a lot of different, once you get to the decoration part, there's a lot of different stuff you can do. So I'm gonna stick that in the oven. It'll take probably about 20 minutes and then I'll turn the oven off and I'll, I'm actually gonna let it dry out a little bit further in there. Um, I like this to be fairly dry. So the dacquoise is made, the cake layers are made, now I gotta make frosting for it. And the particular variety of frosting that I'm going to make with this, because I have so many egg yolks, is a French buttercream. And French buttercream is egg yolks, sugar, and butter. Lots and lots of butter. 325 grams of butter to six egg yolks, so roughly 110 grams of egg yolk. 250 grams of sugar, 60 milliliters, AKA 60 grams of water. And buttercreams are a very common kind of frosting. There's the French buttercream, which is made with egg yolks. There's the Italian buttercream and the Swiss buttercream, both of which use meringues. And then there's the American buttercream, which is uh, basically just whipped butter and powdered sugar. In this case, because I have so many egg yolks, I'm gonna make a French buttercream. French buttercreams, they're very light in texture and they're insanely rich because they have so much egg yolk and so much butter. They're really, they're also really easy to make. There's only two possible things that can go wrong with them. And both of, well, there, there are actually three. There are three possible things that can go wrong with them. Two of which are very simple to fix. One of which means that you ruined it. <laughs> the only thing that you can do to ruin it is to add a sugar syrup when it's too hot. So basically the way that a French buttercream is made, you beat egg yolks till they're very light, and then you heat your sugar syrup. You combine sugar and water and heat it to 240 degrees. And while you're beating your egg yolks, you pour this sugar syrup in a very thin stream into the egg yolks. And what this does is it both cooks the egg yolks just enough to pasteurize them, and it also solidifies the structure of the proteins in the egg yolks, similar to what you do when you're making a cooked meringue. So it's, it's accomplishing both food safety goals and uh, stabilizing the structure of the dessert. Got my sugar boiling in the water. I'm gonna go ahead and whip my egg yolks. I want them to be very light. I'm gonna let them go for a little bit and try to beat as much air into them as I possibly can before I even start adding my sugar syrup. And a lot of these uh, recipes will also, will call for corn syrup to go along in the sugar syrup. And what that does is it helps prevent the crystallization of the sugar as you're boiling it. The simplest way to avoid crystallizing your sugar syrup is to not stir the syrup because the biggest thing that'll happen and it'll make things crystallize is if you splash it up on the sides of the pot, uh, as the water cooks off that, then the sugar will crystallize. And then if those crystals get into the boiling syrup, then you can have issues with crystallization. So my egg yolks are very pale yellow now, so I'm gonna go ahead and stop that. They're pale yellow, they're nicely incorporated. They've got a little more volume than they did before. 40, I wanna push it just a little bit, make sure everything gets over 240 and is pushing towards 244. Okay, we're starting to see 244. So I'm going to get my, get these guys whipping. I wanna whip them fast. And I'm gonna pour these this sugar syrup in very, very slowly in as thin a stream as I can manage very even stream so it slowly incorporates and slowly heats the egg yolks. And now I can touch the bowl and I can feel that the mixture is warm so I know that now I've got some pasteurization going on. I'm gonna go ahead and stop this and just scrape down the sides, get all the sugar syrup into my mixture. Again, if you, if you try to dump it all in at once, you'll curdle your egg yolks. And if you curdle your egg yolks, you're done. You, you just gotta start over. Just add it very, very slowly and you'll be fine. Okay, now 
I have my 325 grams of room temperature butter, and I'm using quality butter because this the butter is basically the star of this recipe. So I'm using decent stuff, just some cultured butter. It does make a difference. You know, the cultured butter is going to have a little more butter fat in it, so it's going to have a little richer mouthfeel. It's going to uh, be a little softer. It's going to have a better texture, and it's going to have a little bit of a tang from the culture in the butter. The two things that can happen to you in a buttercream like this are it can either be too cold or it can be too hot. If it's too hot when you add the butter and the butter actually melts all the way, then your buttercream is greasy and it breaks. So it clumps up, the, the egg yolks and the sugar form clumps and the, the butter forms a greasy sort of, it looks like a broken emulsion because that's what it is. Now, this is actually really easy to fix in this case all you do is put the whole works into the refrigerator for a little while until it firms a firms back up a little bit, and then you just turn it on and you beat it for a long time. And if it ever looks like it's gonna separate again like that, you put it back in the fridge and you keep it cold. The other problem can happen is if the whole thing gets too cold, the butter will remain in big chunks and it won't incorporate properly into the mixture. The mixture won't be smooth. It'll be partway smooth with occasional chunks of butter. So you can either have little chunks of egg and sugar, or you can have little chunks of butter. Either one is bad. If it's too cold, obviously the solution is basically just keep beating it for a long time until it warms up a little bit, the butter softens, and then it spreads out and releases into the emulsified frosting. So if it's too cold, beat it longer. If it's too warm, put it in the fridge for a while. And I'm going to switch from the whisk to the paddle for this as well. But first, I'm gonna beat this for just a few minutes to get it to, get it to where it's a little cooler. You don't want it to be really much above 100 degrees. This, this whole thing is, is just a matter of temperature. And if you've gotten to this point, again, it's really easy. If it's too hot, put it in the fridge. If it's too cold, beat it longer. So just for fun, let's take a look at our temperature since we like to be all pretend scientific. And right now the temperature of this is 90, 100, 100 degrees, exactly. Which is a pretty good temperature for this. So I'm gonna switch to the paddle now. So I've got my butter is all cut up into little chunks and I'm just gonna add one chunk at a time, let it incorporate, add the next chunk. I don't want to go so fast that it's going to throw some of this butter out, so. And to me, the sort of the ideal temperature for this butter is when you can get it in your fingers and just kind of gently press and it'll squeeze out. You know, it's not so soft that you just pick it up and you can smush it. There's a little bit of a structure to it, but it's still really easy to work. It's funny, right as I just am approaching the very, very end of the last few chunks of butter, Suddenly the whole structure of the thing changed from a little bit of like a thick custard to now it's definitely looks like a frosting. And that was just within the last little bit of uh, adding maybe the last 40 grams of butter. Now it looks like it's supposed to. Because the one, the one only problem you can have at this point now is if you don't let it go long enough and you wind up with a few chunks of butter, you know, that then somebody's eaten and they find <laughs> a big chunk of butter in their frosting. Which, you know, as problems go, it's not the worst, but if you're gonna spend all this time making this delightful frosting, you might as well try to get it at least kind of perfect. So I'm making this dacquoise that's gonna have some berries. I've got some blueberries and some strawberries. And I am going to make my buttercream a lemon buttercream. I could, and I have in the past, use lemon zest. The only problem with lemon zest in a frosting, I think, is that then you get little chunks of lemon zest in the frosting. They're not really noticeable in something like a, if you put them like directly in a cake, they just get cooked in with the cake and they don't even register, you know, but in a frosting, they show up as little sort of lemony chunks. And honestly, I think they're a little unwelcome in that form. So I'm gonna use lemon extract because remember lemon juice all only adds acid. It doesn't really add any lemon flavor. And I'm just gonna beat that lemon extract in. That was about maybe a half a teaspoon. Beat that in and see where we're at. It's good, I think I could use a little more lemon extract. Mmm, ooh yeah, 
lemony. My frosting, it's fairly soft right now, which is good because I'm about to use it. But at this point, I mean, you can you can store this for a day or two if you're not if you're not decorating whatever you're decorating right away. The only if you do that, you're going to want to pull it out well before you're actually going to use it because uh, one thing about buttercreams, they get pretty solid in the refrigerator because of the enormous quantity of butter. They're not something you can use right out of the fridge. If you do pull it out of the fridge and you need to use it fairly quick, throw it in the mixer and beat it for a little while, like you do with regular butter. That'll soften it up. So now I've got my dacquois cut. In this case, I'm just cutting it into little strips. Fairly simple cake, but we'll build this thing real quick. It's gonna be a layer I've got, looks like, so out of that quarter sheet pan, I got four nice strips of uh, dacquois. I'm just gonna lay them one on top of the other, and make a very simple layered dessert. Thin layer of frosting. Got my offset spatula, just doing a quick layer frosting, and now dropping a light layer of blueberries on top. Gonna smush them down in the frosting. Easy to make, classic, lovely, and it's gonna look really nice when you cut into it too. Success. It smells really good. That smells good. I don't know what this is gonna have. I mean, the chicken looks good. It looks good. It looks well fried. It is. The batter seemed to resolve any strange issues that we might have had with it at the beginning. <laughs> you could like tear that. It looks like it looks like a piece of fried chicken. Let's heat up our um, salty water. All right, let's see what's going on here. Well, for sure, it's done. And then if you're supposed to cut it into little chunks, it smells good. Hmm, it's like batter fried chicken. It does. All right, we're putting the tomato sauce into the onions and garlic. Oh yeah, Yay. smells good. Smells really good. Oh yeah, it looks great. I think we're just gonna let it hang out while we while we try our almond chicken. This might suck. Do we really want to put this stuff on the top? Yeah. Yeah, all right, we're going for it. This is the 40-year-old recipe. Yeah, so I know, I know. We're going to see, we're gonna see what, what the difference is between our expectations now and expectations 40 years ago for what oh, almond chicken it. might be. There's your almonds for the almond show. See, maybe the almonds will, will we'll just magically, totally, magically tie the room together. All right, there you go. <laughs> Yo, that's right. <laughs> you might want to take your mask. I know, I got the mask. It always makes eating a challenge. Tastes like crappy fried chicken with <laughs> <laughs> Right? Not very Chinese. I don't know what almond chicken tasted like 40 years ago. This apparently. <laughs> okay. I mean I could see where I could see where it could you could make it interesting. Yeah, you know the almonds in the, the almonds and the chickens the chicken work together. It's just yeah, you're right. The sauce is kind of whatever. Like yeah. if you were used to just eating cream and mushroom soup then probably this would taste very exotic. Mm-hmm. I kind of had a feeling when it's a chicken broth, MSG, and soy sauce in it. You yeah. know? That's just not going to hit that out of the ballpark. <laughs> no. Now we know. Yeah, and even, in the, even the addition of the hoisin really didn't... No, you can, you can pick it up a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of there, but... Right. Really not... Not very exciting. No. Oh, well. Oh, well. Okay, we almost got the pasta water going. So we're gonna move on to the pasta dish. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, a lot of those cookbooks had to be written around what was available to people. Like soy sauce was really exotic. In, you know, <laughs> in 1970. I mean, you had soy sauce in our house in the 70s? <laughs> yeah. Wow, mom. Yeah. And it was chunking. So after we get the pasta done, we add it to the tomato sauce. And then we put in some of the breadcrumb mixtures and toss it. And then we can put more crumb all over the top. All right, we're just cooking our pasta. It's fresh pasta too, so it, it probably is. won't take very long. No, it doesn't. I always wondered how when you have a restaurant, you get every, all the food out hot. Like when people want all kinds of different stuff. And, you know, I order almond chicken and you order pasta. Well, the first, steak. the first thing you do is you don't have a restaurant where you have almond chicken and pasta <laughs> both on the same. Got it. Everything in a restaurant starts in the menu. 
You can always tell if someplace is getting everything out of plastic bags and microwaves if they have a giant menu. Yep. It's a dead tip-off. Yep. Well, our almond chicken was a... <laughs> ooh, it was not good. <laughs> God, what happened, you two? Here, try, oh, the, you know, try the, the sauce. Try the sauce. The menu's like 40 years old. It's it's forty year old well, almond chicken recipe. I mean, forty years ago, they that's were, what they didn't even allow women to vote, and they were cooking with like, soy sauce. Aspic. Soy sauce is very uh, exotic. <laughs> you put some poison in it. Dude, what are you two doing up here? I turned my back for thirty minutes, and you're like cooking from. Well, it's from not the two of us. It's me. He's just, just watching me. Is that how old it is? Oh my god, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're gonna try this next now. What are you making now? This is St. John's Eve pasta. Dun. So wait, so you went from almond chicken to Yeah, that was part of the problem, dish? I think. <laughs> that's a very long flight. Well, I know that's what I think the problem you know, was. Technically and figuratively, right? Oh. From China to Italy. I think that was the problem. This looks delicious. It smells very good too. This is much more promising than. Uh... Um, I don't think I'm. All right. Would you like some pasta, Rob? Uh, sure. This is quite delicious. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> I thought Wait. I thought this might be okay. Why are we putting almonds on? Because that's our um. That's the show. That's the show's theme is almonds. Okay. And Jeff asked me if I could do something savory, and I'm like, well, heck yeah, I could. To the occasion. Up until today, she was doing something with eggplant and almonds. Yeah. And then Dad said, why don't you make almond chicken? Like, oh, yeah. I haven't made that for 40 years. <laughs> and then you learned why. And then I learned why. <laughs> We're going to have this joke forever about almond chicken. That was revolting. I'm sorry. <laughs> that wasn't bad. That, that was bad. <laughs> I just think. Don't even give it to the dog. No. The chicken's are bad. But, you know, like we said, like if you were, if you ate cream of mushroom soup and jello salad every day, like that, that would that be. Canned salmon. That would be salmon pretty. Right, like you said. That would be pretty exotic. What? Well, that was fun. <laughs> you only learn things through failure. I like the almonds in the pasta. I love it. I like the little um, breadcrumbs with the anchovy flavor. Check the Pantry is a production of KBBI AM 890 in Homer, Alaska. It's produced and hosted by Jeff Lockwood. Today's guest was Terry Robel, with special appearances by our son, Rob. The theme music is String Quartet Opus 10, Movement 2, by Claude Debussy, performed by Quatuor Ebane. This is the third episode of the summer 2020 season of Check the Pantry. Your financial donation as a listener makes this and other KBBI programs possible. Visit the KBBI public radio website at kbbi.org support to help produce programs like this. Thank you.
Thank you. 